If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Luke's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel, the last chapter in Luke. As we go to God's Word, let's go to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you, Father, that through your word we can see you and your glory and your grace. And also in your word we can see ourselves not so glorious and in great need of your grace. So, Father, as your people gather now in the name of Jesus, would you be pleased to meet us through your word and by your spirit. Father, enable us to rejoice that you have preserved these things for your people so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Open our eyes, Father, to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our lives to follow Christ and obey him. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's pretty accurate to say that everyone, everyone is looking for something. In fact, I think that's been the title of a number of songs, variations on everybody's looking for something. And so I think it's also safe to assume and safe to assume is correct that everyone hopes to find what they're looking for. And I think of that song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, why is this the case? Why do people hope to find what they're looking for? I think it's because people have a destination in view, a a goal to obtain, someone or something to find. The goal, the object motivates the search, doesn't it? The quest, the journey. And if they get there, if they find it, there's a celebration. But here's a question for all of us this morning. When is not finding something so much better, absolutely so much better than finding it? Did you hear the question? When is not finding something far better than finding it? Well, I think it happens each and every time when what we are looking for and expecting comes up against what God has done and determined to make known to us. And that's what we have before us in our text this morning, the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 24. Remember the purpose that Luke is writing. He's writing an orderly account so that you may have certainty concerning the things You have been taught, Luke writes at the beginning of his gospel and also his volume two, Acts. He's writing about the things that have been taught about Jesus. And in the first three chapters of Luke, it's all about Jesus' birth. In fact, we've had a series called the Songs of the Incarnation from those chapters. And chapters 4 through 21 is all about Jesus' earthly ministry. And beginning in chapter 22... It's Jesus' last days. 
Jesus has died according to the scriptures and he's been buried. Join with me as I read beginning in Luke 23 verses 44. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come from, with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now that's chapter 23, the death and burial of Jesus. But as you know, Luke doesn't end with chapter 23. Now the story doesn't end, it continues. So let's listen now to these first 12 verses of Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, that would be the women, went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Well, in Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, I believe we will see three things. A great question being asked, a simple command being given, and a faithful response 
being demonstrated. And so let's take a look at what is before us, remembering that as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So let's take a look at this great question being asked. What's the scene? It's an empty tomb and an encounter with angels. The women, you know, were the last to leave the cross. They were the last to leave the scene of the crucifixion. And yet they were the first to arrive at the tomb. The empty tomb, the scene, as it were, of the resurrection. And their day did not start out as a day of special joy. Rather, it was a day of deep sorrow upon the occasion of a death. And there was also work to be done. But upon arriving at dawn that morning, they found the stone array rolled away, but they did not find the body of Jesus. They are perplexed, we read. They are utterly at a loss. They are bewildered. It's not surprising because they yet did not believe. Well, who had removed the stone? Well, not the religious leaders. If they had a body, they would have produced it to prove that this itinerant teacher died and stayed dead. No. Well, was a body able to be produced by the apostles and disciples? No, they were at this time too frightened and in despair following his death. Confused, baffled, and soon to be afraid. Because, my friends, the empty tomb is not self-explanatory. You can't just show up at the empty tomb and know what had happened. Scriptures tell us what happened. They record from so many different angles what's taking place at the time of the resurrection. And so these angels, these two men in dazzling apparel ask a question, and we see it at the end of verse 5. They say this to the women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a startling question because it gets to the root of the matter immediately. It goes straight to the point. In other words, why are you looking for Jesus in a graveyard? The implication, of course, is you are looking in the wrong place. And in asking this question, a statement is made. In other words, if you didn't get it, the message via this indirect question, here it is directly. And we read in verse 6, he is not here, but has risen. In other words, if you don't get it by the question, here it is in unmistakable terms. He is not here. He is risen. This statement is made because they're telling them you're looking in the wrong place. He's not here. He's risen. Well, what follows this question and answer or this question and statement is a simple command. And let's take a look at this command. The command is, of course, to remember. And we see that also in verse 6. Remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. 
The women are operating on a faulty assumption, and so they need a gentle and a mild rebuke here. And the rebuke is this. You must have forgotten Jesus' own prophecy because you see, he said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Not remember when he told you, but remember how he told you over and over and over again. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 9 of Luke. Chapter 9 of Luke, and at verses 21 through 22. Luke 9, 21 and through 22, we read, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Stay in that same chapter and go to um, verse um, 44. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Go over to chapter 18. Chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. And talking and taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Over and over and over again, Jesus told them what would happen to him. You know, sometimes I think all of us, myself included, uh, make Christianity too hard to understand or, or confusing. Here it is over and over and over again. And yet, to be sure, they couldn't understand. They couldn't perceive until the Lord opened their eyes. Remember what he said, the angels tell the women. It's this problem that we all have, this dullness of memory. It's a common spiritual disease among people. We cannot seem to remember. Well, what's the cure for a dull memory when it comes to these things of Christ, of Jesus? Well, it's to grow in our love for Him and to grow and set our affections on Him because we don't readily forget the things that we love. We don't readily forget the objects which we keep continually before our eyes. Remember, that's the, the angel's answer Remember, it's their command, remember. So how are you doing right now today at remembering? Remembering the word of God, remembering Jesus' words. Do you remember? Well, of course, it goes without saying, but in order to remember, you have to first know. You have to know what he said. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is in a conversation with some religious leaders, the Sadducees, and he rebukes them and says this, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. 
You don't know. You don't know. And so here's this gentle rebuke. Remember. Remember. Well, how did the women respond to this command, this call to remember? Look with me now at verses 8 and 9, this faithful response. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. They had been with Jesus. They had heard his words. They had seen his actions. And they remembered. My friends, the Christian life is much more, but it's nothing less than remembering what God has said. Christian discipleship could be seen as this. Teach me and then remind me of what you've already taught me. Remind me of what I already know. And so how do we remember? How do we remember? Well, God has given us the means of grace, His Word, His sacraments, visible words, His church, His body, the fellowship, worship on the Lord's day. Why so many words in worship, you might ask? In order to know and then to remember God's word. My friends, every week we gather together to remember. To remember what God has done. To remember what God has said. And because it's so important, we do it together. Because there are times when you and I are having a hard time remembering. Yes? We're in the midst of difficulty and trial and confusion and we can barely hang on. And you know what? God has placed us into a body of other people who, as it were, can remember for us. Think of the blessing of others with you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus who can come alongside you and help you remember. Remember. So the first step was the women remembered and then from there they returned and told the others of what they had seen and heard. It was show and tell. The women remembered and then they returned. They told these things to the eleven and to the rest. We read in verse 10 of who these women were and in verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. In other words, the apostles, the men, they didn't believe. They did not believe them. Here you've got the faithful response of the women right beside the unfaithful response of the men. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale and they did not believe them. They thought it was nonsense. It made no sense. They are slow. They are unwilling to believe. Of course, it's not the first time that they've been in the grip of unbelief. But here we see a glimmer of hope in verse 12 because Peter, who's there, sees and he leaves and goes home marveling at what had happened. And we don't know if the marveling is one of, of, of sadness compounded or joy Beginning to dawn, we don't know that, but of course the rest of the scriptures will tell us. Well, what do these responses to this news of the resurrection show us? 
Well, I think it shows us, first of all, real simply, that there are two responses to the news of the resurrection. There is belief and disbelief. And we see it literally on the day of resurrection, and we see it today. March 2016. Some people believe the truth of the resurrection, and some people do not believe. And secondly, we see that belief in the resurrection is a process. It may be, uh, take a short time, as the case of the women, or it may take a longer time, as the case would be for the men here. And notice that there was an, an initial rejection of this news. The people had to be persuaded They had to be convinced. And that's what you see Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching as we read in Acts chapter 2. That's what you see Paul doing in synagogue after synagogue after synagogue as he travels throughout the Roman world to persuade, to convince, to show people the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, think with me about this as we wrap up. It's easy It's real easy to look in the wrong places or to look for the wrong things, isn't it? Another song comes to mind. You all have heard it. I've been looking for love. Where? In all the wrong places, right? Yes, yes. People do it all the time. You, me, the women. And in a manner similar to how the women were looking for something where they could not find it, Many people are looking for life in things that are empty at best and deadly at worst. Is that not the case? People around us, maybe us in the past, maybe even right now, we are trying to find life where life can't be found. We're trying to find security and satisfaction where what it is we're looking for can't carry that kind of freight. So ask yourself right now, am I walking on a dead-end street? Because our friends and neighbors that are placing their hope and their trust and their confidence in the things of this earth, it's a dead-end street. The street will come to an end, and there's no way forward from there. In particular, there may be those around us who are interested in and really do desire to be in a right relationship with God. I think there are people out there, and yet they are looking primarily at what they've got to do to get into a right relationship with God. And so when they think they achieve it, I've done it, what are they filled with? Pride. But when they think they have failed and not achieved it, They are paralyzed with fear. So people are looking for a right relationship with God and they're looking for what they have to do. And if they get it, they're prideful, so to speak. And if they lose it, they're paralyzed by fear and despair. Because this this account of the resurrection, as we heard from 1 Peter 15, this is the gospel that Peter that was delivered to Peter and he delivered it to others. It's the news of what God has done. It's not primarily advice on how to live, though the Bible does present 
the way to please the Lord and the way to live a life of of wisdom and kindness and patience and mercy. Absolutely. But it's primarily news about what God has done, not advice about what you have to do. The gospel we see through scripture says that we are so sinful that Jesus really did have to die for us. And that, my friend, puts our pride to death, doesn't it? But the gospel also declares that we are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us, for the joy set before him. And you know what that does? It puts our fear to death. On the one hand, our pride is put to death. On the other hand, our fear is put to death. Well, as important as it is to remember, that's what the angels told the women. Remember, as important as that is, my friends, our hope is not ultimately in our ability to remember. Rather, our hope is found in God's ability and his commitment to remember. To remember his promises. Often when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we sing, Behold the Lamb. And you may remember these words. We remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. The women were expecting to find the dead body of Jesus. They didn't find it. Rather, they found an empty tomb and they were later found by a risen Lord. Did you all notice that in our text today? Jesus is nowhere to be found in our text. You want me to read it again? Verses 1 through 12. Jesus is nowhere to be found in our text because you and I don't find Jesus. He finds us. And indeed, as you keep reading in chapter 24, Jesus shows up on the road to Emmaus. They don't find him He finds them. I mean, we sing it quite often, right? I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. We sing it, don't we? Let me ask you this question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Or do you really, in the recess of your thinking, say, you know what? I was pretty much found by Jesus, but you got to give me some credit. Or really, is that the song you're singing? I once was lost, but now am found. Well, not only does Jesus find you, the gospel declares, but he also does for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived and died on your behalf and in your place. Not only did Jesus do that, but he rose again for you. For us. Friends, remember his words. Remember that life, true everlasting life, is found in nothing and in no other person other than the risen living Christ. Come to him and rest. Come to him and live. Amen.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account of the resurrection. One of many witnesses to the truth that the grave could not keep Jesus down. We thank you, Father, that because Jesus lives, all of those who trust in him alone for salvation, as he is offered in the gospel, they live also. Father, we thank you for our crucified Savior and our risen Lord. Father, enable us to have Jesus as the object of our affections, the object of our love, because what's, what we love is what we remember. Oh, Father, we thank you for hearing the cries of your people. And we thank you for Jesus' words that those who come to him, he will never cast away. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.